0: The reason you are strong and the reason you can do great things and mighty exploits is because you know your God. You know who He is. You know what He's like. You know His essence. You know His nature. You know His mind. You know His personality. You know the God you serve. And because you know Him, confidence is yours. Strength is yours, and great exploits become part of the history of your life. Why? Because you know your God. And so, I can't imagine a more important thing to discuss than the attributes of God during this time. So, it is my hope that in this series, we'll become so much more acquainted with who He is because when we worship Him, when we worship Him, we have to know the God we worship. When we are praising in song, we have to know the God we are praising. It is my hope that we will know the one we serve, the one we obey, the one we submit to, the one we live for. The attributes of God have been taught through many generations by great teachers. And if you want to look into A.W. Pink, all of his uh, work on the attributes of God is out there, R.C. Sproul. And then um, also Stephen Lawson. <coughs> Herman, Bavenick, Herman Bavenick, he was a Dutch theologian born in 1854. He said that the aseity of God means the absolute essence of God. That's what the aseity of God means the nature of God, the essence of God. Therefore, the aseity of God may also be called the primary attribute of God for us to know and to study. And family, you and I are robbed of so much confidence, strength, and productivity as a Christian because we do not focus in, take the time to sit down and grasp the essenty of God, the essence of God, and I know that this word is not a word we use oftentimes in church, um, in our church vocabulary. I have never used this word before, really, only lately, because I've never understood it. There are so many verses in the Bible that that addresses the essenty of God, but I just always used to skim over it because I was just kind of words, you know. And you'll see it as we go over that today. So we want to, therefore, start by developing our understanding of this one attribute of God. Now, God has many attributes. The holiness of God, the sovereignty of God, the supremacy of God. The omnipotence and the the omnipresence of God. All these different attributes need to be studied, and we need to understand what it means that God is sovereign. We need to understand what it means that God is supreme. But today, we start off with the first attribute, which is the the aseity of God. Aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y, is a Latin word, and this Latin word speaks of the self-existence of God. Aseity means out of self. It means self-reliant. In Acts 17, verse 28, It explains the opposite of who you and I are. It says that, for in Him we live and move and exist. It's in God, in Christ, that we live and move and exist. While we depend 100% on God for our existence, God, on the other hand, is 100% self-existent, 100% self-reliant. For God to exist, He depends on no one and nothing but Himself. The basis of God's self-existence is found inside of Himself. Nothing and no one causes God. Nothing and no one sustains God. God is not dependent. He is not codependent. He is 100% independent and complete and full and whole this means that God is self-existent God is self-sustaining God is self-sufficient God is self-satisfied the Assyria of God says that he is the eternal self-sustaining source of his own existence he is the eternal, the eternal self-sustaining source of His own existence. Now, you might say, Jacques, why are we talking about this? Well, I think there are many reasons that you will find many things will happen within you when you grasp the aseity of God, when you grasp the God whom you serve, the God who who protects and cares for you. When you grasp the Assyria of God, suddenly things within the world that you face and see and the things that happen in the world, world events, become dim and small in comparison to your understanding of the Assyria of God. Also, before we go ahead, I want to let you know that your entire worldview is framed, formed, and fashioned by your understanding of the attributes of God. I'm going to show it to you today. Later on in the sermon, you will see how people's worldviews have been shattered because they did not understand the aseity, nor the sovereigns, nor the supremacy of who their God really is. So this means that God is self-existent. He's self-sustaining. <laughs> he is self-sufficient. He's self-satisfied. God, on the other hand even though He is completely 100% self-existent and self-sustaining, everything else comes from Him. Everything that exists flows from God. God possesses life, and not only does He possess life and generates life, He is the one who delegates life, He is the one who gives life, whether it be physical life, spiritual life, eternal life, it's all from God, your God. God has always existed even before the beginning of anything that was ever created. Genesis 1 verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This implies, and this states, That before the creation, there was God ready to create. Psalm Psalm 93 verse 2 says, Your throne is established from old. Your throne is established from old. You might say, well, Jacques, how old is from old? How old is that? The verse continues to explain itself, and it says... You are from everlasting. That's where you come from. You come from everlasting past tense, past. Titus 1 verse 2 says, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Daniel 7 13 calls him the ancient of days. Micah 5 verse 2 says, He's going forth from long ago. From the days of eternity. That's where His coming forth is from. The days of eternity past. That means your God stepped out of eternity into time as He created. He lived in eternity past. Before anything was created by Himself, He self-existed. This is the aseity of God. We, with our finite minds, cannot fathom the infinite God. It is impossible in this life to take infinity and push it into something that is finite. Therefore, one day when we go to heaven, this is part of what heaven's going to be. It's going to be our God understanding layer upon layer, degree upon degree, understanding of a greater understanding constantly of who God is, and that will go on for all eternity because our God is so great. But here is one concept we have to attempt to wrap our mind around in order to have a biblical worldview of world events and things that happen to us and around us the Assyria of God. He's always existed. Psalm 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, connected to this concept of the aseity of God is the eternality of God. When we think of our eternal life, you and I, we think about one day passing away and living forever into the future. But this is not the same as with God. With God, not only does He live into the future forever, as He has eternal life and gives eternal life and generates eternal life and is the source of eternal life. But in the same degree, in the same way, He too uh, is, uh, has existed from all eternity past. He was the source of all eternity past. At no point from everlasting to everlasting did God not exist. This simply means that God's eternality is part of God's aseity. Why? Because from eternity past to eternity future, from everlasting to everlasting, God completely, independently self-existed. He was the source of self. God is without beginning. God is without end. God is the uncreated Creator, I mean, can you, can you, do you realize just how majestic our God is? Isaiah 43 verse 10 says, before me, there was no God formed. And there will be none after me. (laughs) He's saying, I am God the only god nothing and no one precedes god nothing and no one upholds god nothing and no one takes over from god he has no pre- he has no successor god is not created he has always existed he exists by nothing out of himself he is determined by nothing outside of himself. Nothing determines him. Nothing causes him. Nothing sustains him. He's God. Somebody went to a minister in England and after service and said to this minister, uh, Sir, great sermon today, and I have a question for you. The pastor says, what is that? And the lady said, uh, do I pray also for the small things in my life or do I just pray over the greater things in my life? He looked at her and he said, dear ma'am, everything in your life is minute if you, understood, if you understood the attributes of who your God really is. Our God is great. On the other hand, though, all things other than God Himself were created by God for the purpose of God's own pleasure. All things created was created for His pleasure. That's why He created them. We're talking about the stars, the planets. The universe, solar systems. We're talking about earth and all those upon the earth. Everything that was created by this God who exists within Himself, the generator of life, created it all just for His own pleasure and to display His own glory. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, Also we have obtained an inheritance. Watch this. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Ephesians 1 verse 11 it says now look closely also we have obtained an inheritance who we we you and i the believers in jesus christ those who have been found in christ we have obtained an inheritance oh how sure are we of this having be pre having been predestined according to his purpose He predestined us to obtain this inheritance. He predestined us according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. Who works all things after the counsel of His own will. You know why God created all things, you and me included? that was His will. He decided on it because that is what pleased Him. Then why did God create all all that He created? Let's look into that and let's frame it. The reason why God created everything that He created. Well, God created everything out of nothing, simply as as a venue, as a venue to manifest His greatness and His own glory. That's why Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1. He says, no one's without an excuse. All you need to do is look at the universe. Look at the sky. Look at the nature. Look at everything. And you will see God's glory revealed. This was His work. And all He did was He spoke. And there it was. And it's been, for so long, upheld by the very same Word that initially created it. It's fascinating. It's amazing. So God created everything out of nothing, simply as a venue to manifest His greatness, to manifest His glory and His power. But also, God created everything out of nothing so that His Son would have a bride who would sing His praises Forever and ever and ever. I think as fathers, we have a tiny little glimpse of it. If we have, for those of us who have sons, we have a glimpse of it. Imagine just your son's future wife singing his praises forever and ever and ever. This is God's desire for his son. Now, from, from God flows life because He generates life. The basis and source of His own life is Himself. This is the aseity of God. John 1 verse 4 says, In Him was life. In Him was life. John five twenty six says, For just as the Father has life, in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. That is to say, He is the possessor of all life. He is the source of all life. He is the giver of all life. He is the sustainer of all life. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Act 17, 28, for in Him we live. He generates and delegates life. Without Him, nothing can exist, nothing can be alive. Therefore, because of Him, life is sustained until He chooses otherwise. It will never stop being alive. This forms, fashions, and frames. A person's worldview of why they are here, who they're here for, the meaning, the purpose of their life, and how secure are they in this life that God is offering, giving them. You see, He's the author and the generator of the life you have. He's the one who delegates it to you, and therefore, until He stops delegating life, it's not going to end. It's in His hands. Now, these next three verses I'm about to read to you. And if you don't have your Bible with you yet, I really would like for you to get your Bible because uh, you need a pen and you need to start making notes regarding this. But these next three verses might just be the most clearly stated portion in Scripture regarding the aseity of God. Now, you go, Jacques, the word aseity is not in the Bible. We know this. Thanks, Mr. Obvious. (laughs) Neither is the word Trinity. So, in these next three verses, you will see what the word aseity means to express about this attribute of God. This answers the questions, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of my life? What is the purpose of my life? So, let's look through it. Romans 11 verse 34 says, Paul starts by quoting the Old Testament. And he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Who has known the mind of God? Who's God's counselor? Well, that's a rhetorical question. No one. No one gives God direction. God is the one who directs. No one gives God insight. God's the one who gives insight and opens eyes and minds and hearts. Well, No one counsels God. God's the one who gives counsel, divine counsel. So it's a rhetorical question. Verse verse uh, 35, it says, Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Well, here we go again. Well, nobody gave to God what God has, and now God needs to return it to him. No one said, God, I'll breathe life into you so you too can now have life. No, nobody nobody gave God anything to be who he is. So that too is a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. Verse 36, and here it comes. For. Now let's just pause there for a second. When you see the word for, what's it telling you? it's telling you that um, it's about to explain to you everything he just said. Everything that precedes the word for is explained by, by what follows the word for. That is now the explanation of what was just said. He says for, and here comes Paul's explanation. From God, through Him, And to Him, from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. All things, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. From Him means that God is the source of all things. Through Him says that He is the means of all things. He directs all things. He determines all things. He manages all things. He upholds all things. He maintains all things through Him. And to Him means He is the goal, He is the aim, He is the ultimate purpose. It is for Him that all things exist. All things are not for us, all things are for Him. From Him, through Him, and ultimately to Him are all things, Paul says. Now that there, ladies and gentlemen, frames your worldview of everything in this world that you live in. Nothing originates in itself. It all originates from God. Nothing is maintained and upheld by itself. All things are maintained and upheld by God himself. All things are kept alive by God. This is what I'm trying to tell you. All things that are alive today have been kept alive by the one who delegated life to it in the first place. He not only gives life, he maintains and sustains the life that he gives until he chooses otherwise. Nothing is for itself. It's all for God's purposes, for God's plans, according to God's timing, and for ultimately for God's glory. That's what all things are here for. Governments, kingdoms, nations, plants, trees, rivers, mountains, money, health, everything that is, is for Him. Created by Him for His glory. This is to say that the ultimate goal and the ultimate purpose of the universe does not revolve around you and me. I'm sorry to have to let Oprah know, but no, it's not about us. Humanism has crept into the church as a bright light, but we have been warned that He comes as an angel of light. Humanism is the opposite of the attributes of God. It's the opposite of the mind of God. It is the opposite perspective and worldview of what Scriptures are placing within us. It's all for God. Your life in its complete completeness is about God and God alone. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6 will reaffirm it over and over again through Scriptures. It says... 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom, from whom all things, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him. says it right there. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him, from Him, for Him, by Him, through him. I hope you can see that this forms a watertight worldview. You go, well, Jacques, how? Well, let me give you one example. You don't feed somebody so that they will never hunger again and never have need again. No. You feed somebody the poor because God needs to be glorified. That's the end of all you do. But I don't want to (coughs) deviate. Ephesians 4 verse 6. So now we've looked at Romans 11 verse 34 that says, From Him, through Him, to Him are all things. We've looked at 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6 that says, From Him, for Him, by Him, through Him. Now we're going to look at Ephesians 4 verse 6. Um, It says, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Now, you can just keep adding those prepositions. They're all true about God. (laughs) All things are from Him. All things are through Him, in Him, by Him, for Him, to Him. to the person who understands the Assyria of God, the person who understands the sovereignty of God, the person who understands the supremacy of God. They are not moved by political fear mongers. Family, they are not moved. They know they're God. They're strong and they do mighty things. They do great things because they know they're God. The person who understands the aseity of God, the supremacy of God, the the sovereignty of God, they're not moved, not just by political fear mongers, but they're not shaken by world events that happen. Stop ignoring these events. I'm not ignoring them, but I'm looking at my God. I know my God. On the contrary, these world events and all these things that happen that throws everybody into a pool of fear, a bottomless pit of fear where there is no bottom, there is no end in sight. That same message, those same events, those same pandemics, what they do to the person who knows their God is that it excites them. There's a certain excitement about a world gone amok. Crazy world events make these people more focused on God than ever before. Suppression, oppression, makes them rise up in strength because they know they're God. So there is your worldview right there. Colossians 1 verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. This is huge in in God in him he is before all things why because he created it and he had to have been there in order to create what exists and in him all things hold together it holds together it doesn't fall apart the bottom doesn't fall out it doesn't burst at its seams It doesn't spin out of orbit. All things hold together. That's your God. That is to say, all that He created, He will also continue to sustain. The same power that created is the same power that sustains. That same power is currently at work keeping all things together Again, there is your worldview right there. No, you are not going to blow up the earth. (laughs) No, you are not going to destroy this planet. You are not going to bring destruction to what He created and upholds. You're not going to do it. Nobody's going to do it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. No man makes history outside of God and his sovereignty his supremacy and his aseity no man does that you cannot we cannot fathom it is an, he is an incomprehensible being the one we serve and we submit to and he loves you he predestined you he foreknew you he foreloved you And therefore, He called you. And because He called you and drew you to Himself, therefore, He justifies you through the cross and then glorifies you in Christ. Now, folks, that is the goodness of God in your life. That is God's goodness in your life. No one's going to destroy the planet Until Jesus comes back and burns it with fire, this world will continue as it always has. It will. It's just going to keep going. Jacques, no, it's not true. Well, Matthew 24, 37 says, from the beginning, or excuse me, Matthew 24, 37, right. It says, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, They were eating, and they were drinking, marrying, and given in marriage. They were just living as normal. And then the flood came. And in the end, people are going to just live as normal, and then the end. That's what he's saying. For as in those days that Noah entered the ark, excuse me, for as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving a marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came. They did not know anything was different until judgment fell and took him away. See, you're not going to hear Jesus, you're never going to hear him say, oh, oh, no, oh, man, they, they destroyed the earth before I could. I was going to come back, but boom, look at that. They're all gone now. I told them not to use that dangerous can of (laughs) hairspray. You see, when Jesus destroys the planet with fire is when it will be destroyed. That's when that happens. Until then, your worldview is Colossians 1.17. In Him, all things are held together in its place. Seasons, everything will remain as He told it to, in spite of your and my bad decisions as humans, in spite of our need for oil, in spite of, you know, virus banks in Wuhan, in spite of all of these things, everything is held together in Him. Genesis 8 verse 22 says, As long as the earth remains, there will be planting As long as the earth remains, there will be harvesting, there will be cold, there will be heat. There will be both cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Genesis 8.22. You know, um, I want to make a point of this just because I actually want to be done with it. So I wanted to show you some newspaper clippings that are still in circulation. Thank God for the internet, you know. We We are able to Search out things that are uh, ancient. I mean, I just read through all of the epistles of uh, Polycarp and Irenaeus and these people who lived a hundred years or a couple of years, a handful of years after Jesus, actually, right after the apostles. And, you know, their writings are there. You can still read it. The, the, it's just an amazing. It's by click of a button. You can just search those things, and they're all there. And so, of course, we can delve in into 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and we can find newspaper clippings of what was said at that time about issues we face today. And so, uh, the first I want to show you is from The Guardian. Um, This is February, Saturday 21st, February uh, 2004. It says, now the Pentagon tells Bush, climate change will destroy us. It says... Britain will be Siberian in less than 20 years. It says, Britain is plunged into a Siberian climate by 2020. Nuclear conflict, mega droughts, famine, and widespread rioting will erupt across the whole entire world. Ooh, okay. Okay, the next one is, I think we have four of these, Han, thank you. The next one is actually by the Associated Press, believe it or not. NASA scientist, we're toast. Hansen, who's the uh, scientist echoing work by other scientists, said that in five to ten years, the Arctic will be free of sea ice in the summer. Now, when was this written? This was written uh, June 24, 2008. It says, but um, Ed Markey. Democrat from Massachusetts committee chairman said Dr. Hansen was right. Twenty years later, we recognize him as an what a climate prophet. Okay, great. Climate prophets didn't know they were around. Okay, and the next one is, ladies and gentlemen, you knew this one was coming on December the 14th, 2008. Former presidential candidate Al Gore predicted the North Polar ice cap would be completely ice free in five years. That was in 2008 as reported. Okay, Gore made the prediction to a German TV audience um, at a climate conference. All right, good. Thanks, Al. Next is the last one here, yours. (laughs) Now, he's done this a few times. Now, I understand that this man goes around and and starts or supports charities, all right? That's why he has to kind of stir up a little bit of fear. But in July of 2009, uh, Charles... Announced that we have just 96 months to save the world. 96 months to save the world. And now he's done that a few times. And um, he's been wrong every time. So, why am I saying this? Why am I showing this? Because I want to let you know your worldview has to be scriptural. Your, you don't have a choice. Your worldview has to be scriptural. Allow the Bible to your worldview, because it doesn't matter that a person is a, is a rock star. They don't know anything other than beats, bars, you know, range, vocal range, and th- that's what they're good at, okay? So please, don't, don't buy into the fact that you think people know more in other areas than what they are supposedly specialists in. But even on top of that, over and above a scientist, a, what, what's a prophetic, uh, a climate prophet, <laughs> you know, why not Scripture? Why don't we go to Scripture and embrace the worldview that in Him all things hold together? He created it by His Word. He sustains it by His Word. That's enough for me. Those who know their God, they will be fearless. They will be strong. And they, they will do great things, which he referred to as eternal things. So if you are on this train, you know, that I just showed you the newspapers and you, you're just really buying into all of this, I just want to tell you to stop it. Why? Because two things. Number one, you are scaring the children. Stop scaring the kids. And number two, you have a different purpose to your life. You have a different focus to your life. Don't waste it on things God promised God promised against. Bind to what God says and you'll be right every time. The world is going to end. The way the book of Revelation says, it's going to end. Rest there. And when you see these things happen, that's time for us to get excited. I'm not really angry excited. Job 38 verse 8 says, and I want to refer back to the polar ice caps and everything. Job 38 verse 8 says, who closed the gates to hold back the sea when it burst from the womb of the earth? I mean, look at that question. Who closed the gates to hold back the sea when it burst from the womb of the earth? Who did it? Who stopped the sea from flooding the entire earth verse 9 it was I who covered the sea with clouds and wrapped it in darkness I marked a boundary for the sea and kept it behind bolted gates what a picture I told it so far and no farther here your powerful waves must stop here not there here god decides hebrews 1 verse 3 says and he jesus is the radiance of god's glory and the exact representation of god's nature and upholds all things by the word of his power his power has a word and that is you You, sea level, you rise only up to there, no higher. He upholds all things by the power, or the word of His power. He spoke it all into existence, and by His breath He upholds all that there is. The orbit of the planets, the turning of the earth, the tilt of the axis, the changing of the seasons, the high tide the low tides. He upholds it all by His word when He commanded it. And you and I, whatever God decides, whatever God does, we're with Him. We're with Him. Psalm 36 verse 9, For with you is the fountain of life. For with you, God, is the fountain of life. All life flows from Him. Life does not flow to Him. Life flows from Him. Since all life flows from Him, nothing can therefore live unless God allows it to live. Since all life flows from Him, no one and nothing can stop that flow of life except for God Himself. If God said live, who's going to stop that from living? If God says to a life, you be sustained until then, who's going to shorten that life? People often get caught up in fear, uh, you know, fear of life-threatening events. What if our lives become unsustainable? What if our planet becomes unsustainable? What, if, what about all the elements that currently threaten our existence as human beings? Are we all about to become extinct? What if we run out of the stuff we need in order to survive? Where do we go? Who do we go to? Where can we hide? You think I'm kidding, asking these questions? People ask these questions all the time. They're serious about it too. Check out these increasingly popular bunkers now selling um, among the super wealthy around the world as they seek shelter from the threatening elements in this world, the threatening events and the coronavirus specifically. This uh, that Han's going to put on the screen right now is actually the LA Times, the Los Angeles Times, the business section talking about real estate and uh, how the rich are running from the coronavirus. I mean, just look at this for a second, Han. Can you throw something up there? Okay. Um, there are these bunkers. Y- you can find it on, uh, on the Internet, the properties that are being sold. It's just absolutely, absolutely incredible. I mean, bunkers, and th- they even have a picture on the Los Angeles Times, and you can search it for yourself if we aren't able to throw it up on the screen. You can search it for yourself. There's, there are bunkers right here in Indiana. And you should see its five-star bunkers. <laughs> it's actually pretty gorgeous. It's super expensive, and um, these people are traveling around the world to find places where these bunkers are being built. Specifically in areas such as in the southern hemisphere, uh, you'll have in Australia and New Zealand because that's the New Zealand has no argument with any nation, and they're not they're not war-prone and it's really far to get to them, to bomb them. And so people love, like, for instance, the number one guy of Bitcoin <clears throat> just went and purchased for himself a massive bunker there. He's got a shooting range down there, uh, pools and, and it's spas and everything. I mean, it's pretty fantastic. But people are now buying into that kind of thing. Now, instead, as a Christian who understands the Assyria of God, the self sustaining source and life and giver of life, your and my worldview, our worldviews are different. Our worldviews are different. We don't have the same worldview as people who give to, give into these fears. I'm not saying don't prepare. Never am I saying that. I'm not saying don't be wise, of course, You don't want to find yourself a snake and go and handle a snake. No, you don't want to find yourself poison and go drink it. No, you don't want to throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. You don't want to do these things. These these things are not God. But we have a different worldview. Your worldview is the fact that your God is self-existent. Your God is self-existent. Sustaining your God is self sufficient, your God is satisfied within Himself, and He created what He did in order for Himself to be pleased by it. That is who your God is. He does not need your enemies to come into agreement or to cooperate with Him in order to keep you alive. Let me just say that again your God. Your self-existing God, the life-generating God who delegates life to you, He doesn't need your enemies to cooperate with Him in order for you to be protected and to have life. He doesn't need that. Nothing and no one precedes your God. Nothing and no one upholds your God. Nothing and no one takes over control from your God. He has no successor. He is the the possessor of life. He is the possessor of your life. He is the source of your life. He is the giver of your life. And He is the sustainer of your life. He is the one that sustains it. You are alive because God chose for you to be alive You are alive now because God chose for you to be alive right now. And that doesn't change until God chooses otherwise. Daniel 1 verse 32, and I'll close with this again. But the people who know their God, they shall be fearless, they shall be confident, they shall be strong, and because they know their God, they will do great things let's pray father i pray for every person here today who have joined us whether it be live stream facebook youtube i pray god for all families sitting around a screen right now and listening to the words of god out of the word of god the bible the scriptures and god that we will that we will elevate that above every other opinion that we will elevate your word above every other feeling above every other perspective above every other ideology that we will that we will elevate your word and that we will not make ourselves the judges of what you said whether it be right wrong good or evil no god you are the one and you're the only one that decides right from wrong good from evil truth from falsehood and God, we bind to what you said. We rest into what you rest on what you said. We believe what you said. We live according to what you said. And therefore, as we know you more and more, God, we become stronger and stronger. As we learn more and more about you, God, we become less and less fearful, more and more confident. And we'll do great and mighty things because we know our God. Amen.